Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow, and this is the Goop Podcast, where we bring together thought leaders, scientists, healers, creatives, and seekers. I'm so grateful to be able to interview these bright minds and share their incredible wisdom with you. And I especially love listening to the conversations that are led by my brilliant co-host and friend, Erica Chitty. Erica is the CEO and co-founder of Loom, and she's been a part of the Goop family since the beginning days. We believe that simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. I'll let Erica fill you in on her guest today. Our guest today is Gabby Bernstein. She's an author, spiritual teacher, and international speaker. Gabby's new book is called Happy Days, which she describes as a departure from her other book she's written on manifestation, personal growth, and connecting to the universe. In Happy Days, Gabby shares her journey from addiction, trauma, and depression to recovery, healing, and inner peace, which I'll let her tell you about today. Gabby has so many wise insights about finding yourself again after trauma, how to connect back to your body, mastering your triggers, and moving past shame. I loved getting to talk to her about spirituality, healing our core wounds, and surrendering. Okay, let's get to my chat with Gabby Bernstein. How are you doing? I am well, Erica. I am well. I have a cold, which you can hear in my voice. But otherwise, all is well. I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I am present. I think that's probably the best descri- <laughs> the best description right now. And I'm 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 really I'm feeling a deep sense of gratitude around being reconnected with your work at this time. So thank you for taking the time today with me. I'm so happy to be able to do it. I'm going to start us back at the beginning. You know, I know so much about you from your book, Happy Days, but also just from your work over the years. But can you take us through your journey from addiction, trauma, and depression, and the result of you being sexually abused as a child to this place of recovery and and healing. Definitely. 
So in the introduction of the book, I actually say that this isn't like my eight books that came before it. If you're looking for the quick manifesting methods, there's another book for you. But it's the most profoundly spiritual book I've ever written. And in the end, when you go through this, you will be a far greater attractor than you ever were. Because when we heal our internal condition, then our external circumstances just thrive. But that's not the point. The point is to feel free. And I believe that the majority of my life, I've been in a pursuit of inner freedom and inner peace. And for decades, I didn't even know what I was running from, but I knew all the ways I'd been running. I knew when I was 25 and got sober with a cocaine addiction, I knew that I was running with the cocaine, but I didn't know what I was running from. I then carried on, and as often this happens in addiction recoveries, you put down one drug of choice and then you pick up some others. And so in my case, I started to pick up codependency in relationships. I'm an anxious attachment in style, uh, which we'll get into. And then I started to just, just run in other ways. So I kept running with work addiction and relationships, all the while continuing my spiritual development, working as a spiritual teacher, really tr diving deep into the principles that I've been teaching for decades. But when I turned 36, middle of 2016, I had a dream. The dream was so real, it scared the shit out of me. And it was a dream of being sexually abused as a child. Not a lot of details, just a knowing. And it wasn't, it was almost, it was me as an adult confronting the abuse. And I woke up that morning and I was like, no way. And I just shut it down. I had a talk that night. I was like, I'm not going there ever again. And a few days later, I was in my therapy. And my therapist said a few things that were enough to help me really accept the memory. I then flew off the couch and went right back into a full-blown experience emotionally and physically, an outer body experience of fully remembering something that had been under lock and key for two decades or more. And that was the day I remembered the trauma and accepted it. And I remember getting into the elevator, walking out of the elevator after one flight, and then walking down 19 flights because I was totally horrified and terrified. I couldn't even stay in the elevator. Walked out into the 6 p.m. New York City, Fifth Avenue craziness. Went into an H&M, found my way to the, the dressing room, and just fell to the floor in just hysterical crying. Reached out to a close friend, and that was the first day of my trauma recovery. Now... The decades before had all prepared me to be safe enough to remember. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. 
Asra is the bag to carry for your nine to five and the five to nine plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Tumi's signature. Shop the full Asra collection on Tumi.com or at a Tumi store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. You know, as you're telling me and you're taking me back through the, the memory of remembering a memory, a memory that is deeply traumatic and also kicked off a tectonic shift in your life. What's what's showing up in your in your body right now as you're telling me that? Because I think sometimes when 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 people listen to people recount, retell their stories, you know, we're we're really sitting inside of you know, the bravery of the recounting and, 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 and as a listener, you're holding space for it, but how do you, how do you hold and kind of connect to your body as you're telling that? Because I feel like that's just not something that's really talked about is like how you create protection and support for your body as you continue to retell something like this. Erica, that's a gorgeous question such a beautiful question and I'm so proud of my answer my body is completely at ease and I feel totally at peace and that's the only reason why I am able to be so forthcoming with these truths in my book and on stage and in these podcasts is because I've done the work to get to safety I continue to do the work. I always want to keep working. There's more to do. But I am definitely, I could not put my book on this, my face on this book cover with a subtitle, The Guided Path from Trauma to Profound Freedom and Inner Peace, if I wasn't truly living that. So my body is at ease. There was times where I was, my body was not at ease. My body was still in, deep in the trauma sharing on stages and just reactivating myself and as a result reactivating the audiences i said to myself in 2016 i know i have to write a book for traumatized people and i need to share and then but i was like not until i am on the other side <laughs> not until i'm on the other side so th that that steadiness comes through wherever i am now and i know that i can safely speak about these tools without re-traumatizing people because I'm steady in it. And most importantly, without like, re-traumatizing myself, right? I could tell as you were speaking that there was a coherence to how you were moving through it. And I found myself getting regulated even though I was taking on and listening to the intensity of your, of your share. And so I really appreciate you just expanding on that. And I think that it definitely, even in this conversation, provides me with a lot of hope around where you can eventually arrive, even after years of struggle. You know, if there's anything I want my reader to take from this book is the hope and the belief that there is genuine freedom and inner peace on the other side. And I can promise you that. I want to talk a little bit about surrender and control, which you write about in the book. Oftentimes people think addiction is about surrendering to a drug or work or relationship, but you actually think that addiction has a lot to do with control. 
I'm really curious about that connection. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I actually am going to link them back, link everybody back to a recent episode with Gwyneth and <laughs> someone talking about IFS therapy, internal family system. Oh, Richard Schwab. Come on, IFS. Big fan. We love IFS. He is a, a genuine channel and he channeled this incredible system that I'm now trained in, very proud to say, I'm trained in the level one IFS. It's called internal family systems. Okay. So... Internal family systems is a profound therapeutic process that is based on the premise that we have multiple different parts of who we are. And to be very simplified about it, we have the child exiled parts that are, for me, the the little girl that was sexually abused. Then we have these protector parts that we build up to protect us from ever having to face the impermissible fear, shame, trauma of those exiled parts. And so protectors could look like controller. It was one of my protectors. So like I would control every single thing around me. And that's just a way anytime I'd feel unsafe or out of out of control, I would go into massive control protector mode so that I wouldn't have to face the child part that felt so out of control. Another example is the cocaine addict, the cocaine addict did a lot of work to anesthetize my discomfort and to just really keep that little exiled girl at bay. Another protector part, and I say protector with air quotes because we're not, it's not actually protecting us, it's actually keeping us stuck in a cycle. But it's, it, it, well, that's not true. These parts are perfect as they are, and every part, no, there's no bad parts. And so when we let the protectors when we accept and acknowledge the protectors did the best they could when with what they had, then we can really become at peace with them. So for instance, I can look back at the girl who was the cocaine addict and say, you did a really good job keeping me from being blown out with emotions that I couldn't handle. And thank you for not being so extreme and now being sober, but you, you did what you had to do then. And then all of us have what is called self, and self is the resourced, unburdened, undamaged adult part of us that is there like an internal parent. And so when we start to let that self-energy be the leader in our system and connect us with compassion and curiosity to all those ways that we protect ourselves, that's when we start to soften our edges. And I, I'm, I'm simplifying it as much as possible because it's a it's a huge concept to to but if you started to just look at the reactivity that you have in your life or the anxiety or the addiction or the you know rage that you just burst out with and instead of seeing it as like this shitty part of who you are just like that you're bad or that you have an addiction or that you're a rager if you looked at it as a part of you and started to see it with more compassion and curiosity and just started to ask it some questions. It's a life-changing thing (laughs) because that means you're bringing self-energy to those parts. And the goal ultimately is to relax the protectors so that you can get closer to the exiled parts and then bring and retrieve those exiled children and bring them back to safety. IFS is so profoundly powerful 
I, I too have had a many, many, many deep unlocks through IFS. I did a workshop right at the start of the pandemic and found just found that there was so much that I didn't know about myself and that this differentiation or compartmentalization of exiled parts, protectors, and self allows you to touch into things that have maybe felt really intangible. I think what it brings up for me, at least in my experience with IFS, is you know, it really requires you to have tools for regulating your own triggers and activations. Like you need to be able to downregulate enough to really step into IFS because you are really facing things that are intense and heavy and, and hidden. And so, you know, it, it, it makes me want to ask you, what is your process for identifying and triggers and and regulating yourself? How do you regulate after digging in that way or before you start to? There's a lot of different spiritual and therapeutic modalities that I've used in my trauma recovery. And I talk about all of them in Happy Days as a goal, the goal being to introduce the reader to these different types of principles. And one or two or whatever will be like, yes, that's for me. Because you'll know, you'll know when you're reading about it or you're hearing about it. Holy moly, that's something I want to look into more. And you have to trust that intuition. But here's how I use it. So these days I first go to IFS and I start to, if I notice I'm anxious, and sometimes you know when you're walking around anxious and you don't even know why, you're like, what's that thing? Like, what's going on there, right? I will immediately tap into my self energy, which is compassionate and curious and courageous and confident. And I'll let that part, the the, the self part, which is the truth of who I am, the, the mother inside of me, ask the anxiety or whatever is up in the moment, but let's use anxiety, what it knows about how it's feeling. You know, just like, where, where are you in my body? What do I know about you? What do you want? What do you, is there anything you want me to know? Like literally talking to the anxiety as if it's another part of me that wants to speak to self. I'll say, what do you want me to know? And I'll listen and I'll hear, you know, like I'm in your stomach and your chest and I want you to know that that thing that so-and-so said to you earlier is making me really scared and, you know, whatever it needs me to know. And then I'll start to get even more curious. You know, I'll start to think, I'll start to say, what do you need from me right now? And often what I'll hear back is, I need to meditate, I need to breathe, I need to cuddle with the kitten, I have a kitten. I need I need to just feel held and literally hold myself. <laughs> You know, I need to do a quick breath, breath practice. So it's like I go to the part first. And instead of just throwing in a method, I'll give you some methods for self-soothing and self-regulating. But instead of just throwing a method on top of it, which is totally fine too. That's not a problem. You can do that too. I like to just get curious about what the part needs and really talk to the part. Because sometimes that part could say, I need to go for a walk or I need to write an email to that person that made me feel so anxious. And maybe I send it or maybe I don't, but I need to write it right now. So the self-regulating can come in a lot of different forms. Journaling, writing something that you may not send, breath. And one that I love deeply is just placing my right hand on my heart and my left hand on my belly. And it's a heart hold. And just breathing into that space in my body where I'm feeling that anxiety and just on the exhale, letting it go. 
that's such a beautiful way of holding yourself, holding your heart, and then connecting to breath and letting your body settle. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. You always talk about having a sense of spirituality or something beyond yourself, even in the depths of your darkest days. And it's interesting too, you know, thinking about IFS and thinking of some of like the initial blocks that I had with it, you have to have a sense of imagination. You know, you have to kind of be okay with that inner dialogue, which I think in many ways is like connecting to spirit. And so I'm really curious what spirituality has looked like for you over time. And how does someone who's like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not connected in that way. I don't really believe in spirituality. Like what can it look like? It's so funny because a girlfriend of mine who was a PA in my training, her name is Tammy. She's got a beautiful podcast called The One Inside. And she reached out to me before I even took the training. I think I did an interview with Dick on my podcast and she heard it and she was like, that is like the best way that I've ever heard anybody describe this. And she said, I knew that you were into parts work, meaning IFS work, when I read your book, The Universe Has Your Back, because your language was all in that in that kind of parts language. And I was like, I didn't even know about IFS at that time. I actually was practicing IFS in my own therapy, but I didn't know what it was, you know? So the point is, is that everything I'd been teaching for a lot of what this premise is, and that would be that you notice your fear and then you bring your fear to God, to spirit, through prayer. And so very similarly in IFS, it's like you notice the part and you bring it to self. Self is the God within us. Self is a, a, a non-physical energy. And you bring that fear to self and let self resolve it. And so it's congruent with my, my the spiritual beliefs I've held throughout my life, which is simply when you have something that you are controlling or something that you are feels out of control, you can ask for help from a higher power of your own understanding. In this case of IFS, you can ask self for help. And what's so magnificent about that becoming such a habitual practice in my life is that whenever I feel anxious or whenever I feel afraid or whenever I feel confused, I literally just say, thank you self for taking, for taking this from me or thank you God for taking this from me. And just allow new ideas and inspired ideas and be revealed to me 
So interestingly, what I've been teaching for decades really is still showing up as I continue to deepen the work, more clinical ideas like IFS. But IFS, I believe also, every method in this book that I that I reference, somatic experiencing, EMDR, but they're all, they're, while they may be in the medical journals and they may be in the curriculum for therapists, they're really spiritual practices, in my opinion. I agree with you, especially thinking about somatic experiencing. I've been doing SE for many, many years, and it, I will wholeheartedly say that it saved my life with that question just because not not having that connection to my nervous system previously, not having the awareness of how to downregulate when you're in that fight or flight, it's such a gentle framework. And I really love frameworks when you can figure out for yourself, it's almost like you've taken an inventory of what can potentially work and, and people can kind of right size it for themselves and and kind of build build their own path. That's right, yeah. And there's so much spirit in the book and so many presentations help the reader get deeply connected to that voice of inner wisdom to know, oh, wow, that somatic experiencing therapy, it's body-based and that really resonates with me. Or somebody may say the opposite, you know, like that's not for me and I'll try this other one. That's my hope in this in sharing my journey is to say, this is what worked for me. For me, it was all of it. And for somebody else, it might be one element of it, or even just a prayer, whatever that may be. Can we just touch in about prayer for a moment? You know, I'm so focused on words and what words mean and the connotations that we latch on to words. And I feel like the term prayer in our society holds so much complexity. But it's actually a really powerful tool that I have lately been returning to, but really making it agnostic, like not not connecting it to anything specific other than it's a communication tool. And I, I just wanted to hear a little bit, because I can hear, I, I know some people hear the word prayer and they're just like, ooh, ooh, a prayer. I don't, I don't know if I do that. I don't know if that resonates with me. But I'm just curious about your relationship to prayer and how you suggest people approach it if they have a lot of intensity related to that word. Well, everything I've been teaching for the last 16 years as a spiritual teacher is completely non-denominational. And I have students from all religions and no religion. And it's all spiritual. It's, it's helping my reader or my audience member tap into a spiritual connection of their own understanding. I see myself as a can opener, just cracking them open to really establishing what this means to them. The thing about prayer is that the, the language can trip people up. So I appreciate that. You could call it intention. You could call it prayer. You could call it just intention setting. There's a million different ways to refer to it. I don't care what you call it. I just care about you calling upon it. What I believe is a prayer could be as simple as, I can't go on like this. Prayer could be as simple as, there has to be a better way. Because when we say things like that, we're opening up our consciousness to receive further guidance that we may not be able to find with our conscious awareness at that time. A prayer suspends your disbelief. Prayer removes from you what you do not believe 
you can achieve and takes it from you and says, I'll show you how. As A Course in Miracles says, prayer is the medium for miracles. So I believe that when we pray, we're really saying, my logical mind doesn't really have an answer for this. I'm going to turn it over to a power greater than me or even to the voice of my inner wisdom or my own inner guidance system, a.k.a. intuition, and just say, show me what you got. Show me what to do. My favorite prayer is, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? That's a prayer from the metaphysical text of Course in Miracles. And I love it because it's so humble and it's so surrendered. And I've said that prayer every day for decades, decades. But also just to really simplify prayer, you know, you could, you can say, like, you have to trust that every, every statement you make, the universe is picking up, right? So the universe is a yes, whether you're putting out something that you really want or something that you don't want, the universe will respond. So we have to become mindful of what it is that we are putting out there. Are we asking for guidance and direction and creative possibilities? Or are we just focusing on the crap in our life and then asking for more chaos? And we have a lot more power than we think when we surrender. What do you think surrendering looks like right now as we continue to live inside of this pandemic, the uncertainty, the intensity of it? This is a trauma. It's a collective trauma. And we are having a lot of trouble getting out of it through the circumstances. So what we need to do is show up for our internal condition so that we can coexist with these external boundaries and complications and fear. Really what we need to do is establish a really steady sense of inner peace because in order to navigate these tumultuous times, we need to be steady, we need to be grounded. We don't wanna be reactive. And so I really, really, really want people to find the support and the guidance that they need. And I wanna say a prayer right now for everyone listening. May you find the guidance that resonates with you most so that you feel brave enough to go to the places that scare you so that you can come out safely. And I mean that now more than ever, more than ever, because look, you know, four years ago, three years ago, there was a lot of things we could do that would really make us feel seemingly safer, just help us numb out from our deeper issues. But that was all taken from us when a real big trauma hit the world. And we were, we were left with ourselves. So that's a big answer. A practical answer, you know, how do we show up with all the things that are happening around us? It's really start to establish practices for what you said, just regulating, down-regulating your system, really learning how to self-soothe, learning how to calm your nervous system. And I can give you another one. We just did the heart hold. I can do the EFT tapping point. Emotional freedom technique is something I teach in the book. And there's a point between your ring finger and your middle finger, right at that meaty part of your hand. And you tap that point. And that's like a beautiful acupressure point that really settles the system. And when you tap that, when you're freaking out, this is like I call this the holy shit point. But if you're freaking out, just repeat the mantra, I am safe. I am safe. 
I am safe and just keep doing that and closing your eyes if you need to and tapping that point that's called the gamut point. And it's a point for any like overactive hypervigilance or anxiety or just total, you know, dissociation. I am safe. I use that a lot. Another method is to just give yourself permission to write about what's up, right? So we have a lot of different fears daily. And sometimes those fears will just keep pushing down, pushing down, pushing down until they just bust out like a pressure cooker. And so I think our work is to really give voice to those fears. And the safe way to do that is through through journaling and just letting it out. I deeply resonate with the need to journal. And I've actually just recently augmented my journal practice to sheets of paper to bring in a kinesthetic component. And so what I've been doing in the morning is I'll wake up and I'll write down because I'm the most anxious when I wake up in the morning. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I'll like just start tapping my toes in bed because I'm just like, it's it's all, it's when all the downloads want to come in and all the thoughts are there. I also have had a really strong Kundalini practice for many, many years. So I go, I do that. And then I will write down my fears or anything that feels like just nuts that's coming up. And then I'll tear, tear the pieces into shreds and like put them into a little basket. It's been like a helpful thing. Yeah. Of just like writing, tear it, fold it, you know? That's a beautiful practice. Yeah. And what I love about that practice is that you're, you're getting it out and then you're giving it away and then you're doing some Kundalini. So you're just literally shaking it out and Girl, you got a good thing going here. I'm so proud of you. I'm I'm so glad that we had had time to just be together. How old is your babe now? My son is three years old. Yeah, that's like a whole nother thing too. But you know, just managing motherhood, motherhood, being a trauma survivor. All of us are trauma survivors now. Motherhood in the midst of COVID, all of it. The most important thing we can do is focus on our internal steadiness above all else because our children are always co-regulating with our energy. They're constantly picking up what we're putting out. And if we are steady, they become steady in our presence. If we are, you know, super triggered and activated and dissociated and unaware of what we're doing and you know, they just live in this sort of chaotic state. And these early years really create our attachment styles. And so if we have a parent that's like really relaxed one day and then really scattered the next day and like really present one second and then really not present the next day, and nobody judge yourself if that's how you are sometimes, but if it's consistent and if it's repeated, that can create a lot of anxiety for the child and therefore give them an anxious attachment style. Or if a parent is just totally unavailable and just completely neglectful, that can create the avoidant attachment style. It's like, I don't the kid think I don't need anybody because nobody's there. And so the more work we do on ourselves as parents, the greater gifts we give our children. I'm so happy that Oliver didn't come into my life when I first wanted to get pregnant. I wanted to get pregnant like three years before he came in because I was just, by the time he came, I had just gotten through so much and I was in a real new sense of safety. And two months ago, I lost a five-month, I, I was pregnant for five and a half months, and I lost the baby. And I had to let go of that baby because he wasn't 
it was like I did a year of IVF, kind of perfect embryo, and then five and a half months later, he's not getting what he needs. Mm-hmm. But I trust, and in that moment, it was like my faith was like a pillow that I just fell into. It just held me. And I just want to really tell the story of grief that many listeners have gone through. But the foundational faith that I had built up over the years of mm-hmm. being committed to therapy, committed to my own personal growth, held me like a soft pillow when I fell. And I've been moving through my grace because of that. Do not underestimate the value of the time that you take to heal your own inner children, inner child, inner parts. That time where you may feel guilty, I shouldn't be doing therapy or I shouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. I just shouldn't be reading that book. I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Tell that that voice, you know, thank you, but no thank you. I need to put this time as a high priority because it's not just for me. It's for my kid. Gabby, if I was with you, I would just like, you know, and, you know, I, I, I practice as a doula for, you know, over 10 years and have walked through, you know, souls coming in, souls leaving. And so I just, I'm just sending you a lot of strength. And I'm so grateful that you were open to just talking about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We have to talk about it. Women like you and I. Yeah, we do. Because we need to talk about it for all those who are afraid to talk about it. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Gabby Bernstein. Her new book, Happy Days, is out on February 22nd. I highly recommend you pre-order a copy today. Thanks again for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Goop Podcast.